You're listening to On Conversation, and I am the legend Keith Chandler. On our second episode, we discussed the necessity of expert advice, and later in the episode, we lightly touch upon the ethics and morals of conservatives and liberals. We'd like to thank Stirred Up Coffee Shop in Emerald Isle for hosting us for this episode. Please forgive us for any background noise. There were people getting espressos. We'd also like to thank the band Odd Circles for their song Recluse. You can check them out at sweetsoundsrecords.bandcamp.com. We hope you enjoy the show. This particular guy was saying that he thought social media was going to eventually eventually kind of fall by the wayside. Um, what was the justification for that? The justification was that it'll be like the Enquirer. It'll be like just trash, that people get on for entertainment, but it won't be used for... Hmm. Because it's diluting its its value. Okay, so right? what? Yeah, what's the like the threshold that it crosses at which people can no longer like even uh, attempt to uh, push it as as being fact? So at some point, somebody says there isn't going to be enough trust in any group for people to actually use it as like a. So they feel like that trust in in um, maybe larger news organizations, or uh, it'll be like a go back to trust in some of the larger news organizations that spend a lot of money and a lot of time fact checking and doing things like that, whereas just a random dude, you know. Uh, Yeah, but what instills trust in news institutions is supposed to be, and why resources are a big deal, is because they actually have, like, boots on the ground. You have people who are actually talking to people, and they can back what they're saying up with facts. And people sitting in rooms fact-checking and going through stuff and looking through, you know, direct sources and and going out and beating the pavement like, like they did in the 60s to figure out Watergate. Or whatever. Yeah, but right now it's so. viewed as exactly the opposite. Right. It's detached. They don't know what's really going on, whereas social media, right. by definition, you have individual narratives. Yeah, but a lot of like those, can trust we more. figured out that, you know, a lot of those narratives are completely fabricated or just misguided or misunderstood uh, because of lack of expert knowledge. People accept things as being true because their friends and people in whom they are emotionally invested oh, yeah. accept them as being true. Right, they right. don't accept them because experts say they do. They'll accept experts if people think, oh, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not trying to, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. And so the value of experts has dropped in a society where anyone can be a reporter. Anyone can be, yeah. a, you know, kind of. And the problem... I actually am working on a chapter for that in my book. A problem with the lack of experts is that... Um, You're writing a book? Yeah, that's what I'm here for. Oh. It's my sabbatical. Okay. Yeah, I'm working on a book. So okay, I think that was kind of, of the, in one ear and out, out, out uh, the uh, other yeah. for me. And we can talk about it, too, at some time, some point. I'm, Wait, I'm you're just willing to talk it. about your book? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but one of the things I realized when I was doing research, that the lack of expertise 
wiggles around with the fiction of the nation state, right? And so... Um, is it a lack of experts or is it a lack of trust in experts? Lack of trust in experts. I, we have experts. We, we still have NASA. We still have the National Science Foundation. We still have, you know, medical specialists. Um, I think the Fauci thing is a perfect example of, you know, the arguments between the past administration and the National Institute of Health or whatever. I've seen good examples of, if you want to talk about him specifically, in you know, things like the, the CDC and WHO in general, I've seen right. good examples of them being inconsistent. I mean, they may come by it honestly because of the unknowability of things. Right. But I think that people, um, as long as ex experts will always overestimate the amount that can be known, and as long as they're doing that, it's going to undermine people's trust, correctly undermine their trust in them. I think experts aren't honest enough about what they don't or can't know, and that like well, cuts their legs out from under them. Well, that is not necessarily, so what happens is induction, generalization from induction. So you've induced something, which means you've taken random pieces and you put them together, say to create a new vaccine or a new type of building material. The, the creation of the new type of building material and the testing on it still leaves a wide berth when you try to generalize that back to the population. That question mark is always there. But to say that some random dude in Colorado knows more than this guy that's been working on it his entire life is complete horseshit, right? This I person agree. knows I think, a hell of a lot more. And people understand that, yeah. No, they don't anymore. Hmm. Because random dudes who think they know all kinds of shit about politics have a voice now, and they're talking mm. all this crazy trash. Okay, well, politics is very different than something like medical knowledge. No, it's not. Uh. Social science does have certain parameters. The difference is, is that you're dealing with a bunch of sentient beings, but medical science also deals with a bunch of sentient bodies that act differently according to whatever drug you use. So there's always, in the generalization, there's always a spot where people don't don't connect to it. I also think it has to be. This some, is Mr. Keith Chandler, legend. Right. Yeah. 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 No, but I think you got to have a modern, a moderate understanding. Like there has to be a basic understanding of topics, because experts are really useless if the general common people don't have a basic right. grasp on the topic of which they're seeking the expert advice. Well, and that's. That's what they have, is a basic idea. But then they're making inferences and generalizations. But they don't have near the factual base that the experts have. It's like people studying politics or economics. Like, you've been studying economics your whole life. You damn sure know more about the economy than some yahoo sitting on a bar stool. Yeah, you might know more, and you might know more technically, but technically that, is but knowing people more. don't e economic experts if they invest in the market if they make economic predictions they do not tend to do better than the predictions that the average person is making someone making stock predictions is not what an economist normally does no i shouldn't i shouldn't phrase right. it that way okay the, how about all of the uh, okay all of the economists who failed to uh, predict the great recession who failed to predict tons and tons of macroeconomic no, occurrences. They, didn't pr they can't predict the time of it, but they said the bubble will collapse. Well, I think that's yes, that's they're saying it right now. 
Well, that's an inevitability. That there's a hyper bubble right now. Yeah, well, I mean, and that it's going to collapse because okay, the boom well, and bust cycle you have enough is a part of economics. There, there's going to be enough people at any given point in time who are saying that the economy is going to go one way or the other, that it's going to appear like a certain group was correct, even if they didn't have a good foundation for thinking what they did. So, You're always going to have a lot of people saying that the economy is about to go into a significant downturn. But the point is, people who are hailed as like great economists are not held accountable for their incorrect opinions of what the economy is going to do. Sometimes they are. It just depends on what it is. And that's the difference between, that's what you're talking about, the difference between social science and the hard sciences. Like I think just chemistry. the fact that there is a, the term hard science indicates that like people perceive different kinds of information right. differently. And yes, yeah, social science to people falls more into the category of opinion and your opinion about people and the way that people interact so that everybody feels entitled to their opinion. Whereas no, right, not everybody feels entitled to their is opinion about the chemical statement. nature of the universe. Right, but your, your opinion, so people have conflated opinions with expert statements and inferences. Right. So when an expert says something in his field or her field or or whoever's field that they in what they've been studying for 20 years is normally we can say most likely more correct than a novice sitting on a bar stool chatting about it. And there's tons of proof of that. I think it depends on the subject and it's it's human nature for people not to trust experts. Well, couldn't you make no, perfect sense if they don't? I don't, I don't, don't think don't. that. I think, I think they that need to be they, shown evidence of that person's to, correctness in the field that that person is. They going don't to be even correct. have to be shown evidence. Literally, why would you people, trust somebody that you don't? People believed in QAnon. Yeah. So they trusted something they knew nothing about. Hmm. Okay, that I think that that actually confirms my point more than because. No, if they'd have listened to experts in political science, they would have known that QAnon is complete. But and it's not human in, nature to listen to experts about subjects like that. I think like it that. is, because in modernism, we did listen to a lot more experts. We listened to scientists. When the scientists said something, we listened to them. Now, there was, there always is. Now, that's not to say that people don't need healthy skepticism. Right, but right? can't, you, but can't you, you can make an argument for the science and then the application, right? To use, to, I guess, to use a, a, a simple metaphor, it would be um, anytime we were working at Jersey Mike's and the corporate guys had come in and they'd tell us, well, you need to do this and that, and you need to do it this way and that way, and we'd say, yeah, but, but you're not here. Like, we get it. We hear you. But we're here, and these are the people we serve every day, and this is, right? So I guess the expert advice would be that and then the practical or street application is... So, so all I'm saying is, can't you make an argument? So who's to say that person is an expert? Has that person... So you might be more of an expert than that person is, right? Because right. you... It's like telling... We talked about this before. It's like a plumber who some dude comes in and he's watching an HGTV show and he tells the plumber what to do. And the plumber's like, uh, no, that's not going to work. You know, and the guy's like, yes, it will, because I saw it on the show, blah, blah, blah. And so the plumber's thinking, that pipe's not going to drain correctly, 
right? He's not listening to the expert. Do you trust a plumber because they call themselves a plumber, or do you trust a plumber because somebody told in, you, hey, this guy's a good plumber, or you read reviews about him, or no, you, you like, or they've you, been in business for 20 years? They've been in business for 20 years, right? It's longevity that normally creates an expert. Okay, and I think the problem there is other like occupations, like the economist is not, being an economist for 20 years is not an indication that you're actually good at making economic predictions or that people should necessarily follow what you think about the economy as being factual. Also, to go back to what we were talking about, I think human nature, you referred to it as being a modernist context, and I think that's is. correct. Because human yeah. nature and now we're in postmodernism, is, which is part of the problem. We are not constructed to accept something as to accept what somebody thinks as being true if we have never met that person and witnessed the events that they're referring to, or we can't trust that person to have witnessed the events that they're referring to. I don't, like, there's no I don't, precedent in human nature for that. Yeah, there's, there's all kinds of things people believe they've never witnessed or people they know have never witnessed. Like Q. Like, but literally. You, but see, you people believe it because they trust the person who's saying it. And at some point, you get back but through they don't that line of that trust person. to a first... You don't have to... Okay. So someone posts on the internet... I think that's a good point. And then Do you someone have... believes them. And, and we could go into Daniel Kahneman's thinking thinking fast and slow and talk about like your intuitive system that that is designed to believe a bunch of different things according to what you're talking about and then your rational system which is much lazier much more efficient it doesn't want to run unless it has to because it burns up a lot more resources in your body and so if if it can fit into your intuitive system and answer your your call of whatever it is that you're trying to do with your life or whatever, then your body will automatically make that. It's like the mental gymnastics that people do to make shit fit into their, their theories. Yeah, but the, the yeah mental gymnastics yeah. in that case is almost, uh, it's not a good label because it's actually easier than, like yeah. the real work is the right. rational component right. of it. The mental gymnastics are like second nature. So part people. of it That's is when you pick like a plumber is you rationally look and find the expert that would be in business, has good reviews. One thing about the internet, you can see reviews that are aggregated. Mm. And I know there are bots that affect those, but at least you can see those. Um, like if we're talking about Space, you know, you might want to talk to an expert, an astrophysicist that is an expert in whatever, like from NASA, like from Tesla, um, from SpaceX, or someplace like that, right? Versus, that's not to say, so part of the problem is that there are random anomalies that are equivalent to experts. There are random anomalies. Like someone who can build a spaceship expert. in their backyard. Like someone Ooh. who is who is an who is not really a novice they're actually an expert because they've been thinking about this idea for their whole lives okay this this brings up I, but they I'm, have I'm no gonna, credentials okay I'm gonna put this out there I want I want to shift this is a little bit of a shift but it's definitely related so um a lot of innovations and a lot of discoveries are not made through uh, conceiving of them or thinking through them or coming up with the like the logical justification or the theory behind it. They're made through experience, tinkering, getting something to work, and then the intellectual component of explaining how it works and why it works in the theory comes after the actual creation of the thing. 
A classic example is a jet engine technology. It was like done through practice, 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 trying different things until you actually came up with a product that worked, and then they had to grasp and even explaining why it worked in the first place. An example of that would be, you, your example actually is what I'm talking about. They had a goal set. They were using parts of the scientific method to figure out the jet engine. Yeah, Sci- now the scientific method is like, right. that's experience-based, it's empirical, which is yes. almost different than the whole like notion of like theory, logic, like overarching explanations of like what, what is and is not like No, reality. they're not separate, they're together. You can't use the scientific you can't use the scientific method without a theory, right? The, the scientific you, without method without a hypothesis is a you can't. Right. But well, no. You it helps you build a theory. The scientific method builds the theory. Like once you make your hypothesis, your 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 null hypothesis or whatever you're trying to do builds the theory that you use in your scientific method. Mm. Builds the theory from your. As you're using your scientific method, you're building your theory. Then you look at the results, the theory, you add more to it and more to it. And then your theory makes inferences. Like Darwin found this, he found this, he found this, he found this. Then his theory, he's building his theory as he's doing it. I mean, there's a bunch of, there's grounded theory, there's hypothesis theory, there's all different types of theory building, but... um, yeah. Even someone who's tinkering, say someone who at Tesla, who's tinkering with this electric engine, has still got a theory behind electrical drives, right? That he's running on, that he's adding to. Okay. Yeah. There. You see what knowns, I'm saying? Yeah. That you're. I mean, there's a of. lot of in this in this society, especially in in your generation and the generation after that. There's this whole idea that I can do whatever I want. Like, I can just run in and build a nuclear reactor if I want to, right? <laughs> you know? And without, without the idea of what that entails, right? And, and just like Facebook's, you know, whatever and break shit, you know, go fast and break shit. Yeah. You know, kind of deal. That, and, and there is evidence that certain type novices do uncover things that aren't seen by experts. There is evidence of that. That doesn't mean the general population can do that, right? And, and that doesn't mean someone sitting on a bar stool knows jack shit about what they're, they're expounding about, you know, because they, it would better for them to have a healthy skepticism of the experts than to postulate some kind of, well, if I was there... Yeah, I would you know. not substitute uh, trust in experts with trust in non-experts. Right, but or, people do. I mean, okay. they do. Politics is a really good example of My My of advocacy that. against experts is just saying that people put way too much trust in their ability to know anything, especially conceptually. I don't think they put near enough trust in their ability to know things. Really? Yeah. Vaccines would be a perfect example. How so? The the anti-vaxxers. Like, why why are you worried about vaccines? Well, in certain cases, Mark, though, oh. certain types of people have. That's always the case. Sure, sure, when sure, you sure. generalize to the when you generalize something to the population, there's always 
there's always a percentage of people that can't do it because we're are, we're so different. Right. Different but the same. Well, so, I was also speaking of another different kind of manipulation. Ensuing results from not doing something about it would be so catastrophic that um, we probably should believe them. Okay, well, that's more it. of like a Pascal's wager kind of thing, though. Like, I mean, if it's not true, then uh, hedge, like hedging against it, nothing bad is going to happen. But if it is true, right. then catastrophic consequences. So Right, but that's that, if you do that with any expert, though, you figure most people, if someone spent their entire life studying something, they could be jaded on the subject or whatever, but... 50 of those people, the mm. average of their thinking is probably hard to ref hard to to circumvent the fact that that probably is as good as we know as or a at society. Least you would you would lose nothing by assuming it to be correct. Right. right. I mean, as long as you've got some healthy skepticism and it's not, you know, just one person, one scientist saying it. Okay, yeah, the or phrase, two scientists the phrase trust the experts, I think the word trust is what rubs me the wrong way about it. Because if something is, is true, or if something is backed up by fact, or is an expert opinion, then trust shouldn't really be required. It should be able to be made apparent to people that well, it's true. Well, not necessarily... No, not necessarily, because people... But people aren't going to understand it because you so need, like, we, that wealth of knowledge to even understand it, to understand the evidence in the first place. Well, that, see, that's part, see, of the, that, part of the problem. Like, how do we... Like, people just won't believe the facts. You can give people so many facts, and they still will not believe the facts. We've talked about that How is that, that possible? How can something be factual and have people not believe it? Because they don't believe in the source of the facts. Right. If they don't believe in expert knowledge mm. and these people who are observing things and taking down and this becomes a fact because they're averaging it or whatever and then people say no I still don't believe those people yeah or if people say like if what is being referenced as hard evidence is not believed to exist by people like radio right, a lot of people don't people. yeah or people don't accept like radiocarbon dating as being yes. valid because they say how it or appears now may not be yeah. how it actually mm -hmm. is or mm -hmm. because they can't observe it. So then what, see, I don't see any way to move because the next step would be to say, oh, well, you are required to believe these people. You can't be required to believe those yeah. people because that screws up the whole, my whole thing about having a vibrant republic. Yeah. You know, so. So then what do you, what's the solution then? Or do you even want to talk is about Is to exercise solution? the rational brain. So oh. it's not quite as as labor-intensive in activating it. People feel like they're being rational, though. It's just what they consider facts and not facts. But People, they're not being rational because they don't actually weigh the facts. They're, well, right, but their perception is, is that they're being rational. They are, weighing, right, right, they are right, right, weighing, right. weighing the facts. It's just what they view as being a fact is different than what somebody else views as being I'm a fact. I'm not even sure that some people think those things as being facts. They think, I think they've relegated facts to opinion, right? They're basically saying that everything is opinion. Mm. So it's, it's that solipsism or... Solipsism. Or, yeah, mm. or... Um, nihilism where everything is it's exhausting oh, right and relativism kind of where everything is neutral versus there's no good and bad there's no i mean it's almost 
the well, that's people what the have evolved the okay. liberal, liberal conception over. Academic, yeah, academic institutions get criticized for being relativistic, for being nihilistic, for essentially believing in nothing. Like that is the classic conservative is, critique of academic institutions. I know it's so ridiculous. They believe in a ton of shit. Just look at the National Academies of Science. What their statements are. Well, then the issue. Well, belief. I mean, just okay, say one that definition of belief liberals is that think it one thing's require. better than the other is just the most ridiculous thing. Or that liberals agree on everything. That there's a liberal conspiracy to do this. Have you ever met a bunch of science, liberal scientists? They don't agree on a damn thing, hardly. They agree on a few theoretical notions, but they're still the minute minutia they're battling it out over. They're trying to replicate each other's experiments. They're trying to figure out what. But see, but then but the, you, you have to get to the root cause, though, which is what, which is what is eroded trust or belief or fact. Like what's, you know, because that's the thing. There was a time when our, in our youth, even in the early 90s, early mid-90s, people did not, people were skeptical. They were not skeptics. Mm. They were cynical. They were not cynics. So part of the erosion is happening probably because the denial or the, the, the change of the grand narrative. So part of modernism is this idea of the grand narrative. America, this wonderful country filled with whatever, we're going to bring democracy to the world, we're gonna bring capitalism to the world, it's gonna make everything great. Um, you know, and this, the, there's, so modernism, the grand narrative of science, science can fix everything, we can take away disease, we can take away this, we can take away that. Well, we've shown that science also can destroy things just as well as do, as make things better, you know, and the, we can show that America has done crazy stuff in the background trying to, with the excuse of trying to bring democracy you know, and that capitalism has, where there should be no poverty in the United States, we still have vast amounts of poverty. Mm -hmm. So the, 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 the promise of capitalism really hasn't happened either. So as more information gets available to the general public, they, they see that, okay, well, this idea is maybe not very good, or this idea is maybe not, maybe sh we shouldn't listen to these people. I don't, yeah, I don't blame people's lack of trust in science at all. If you look at the, like, how the notion grew and grew and grew that science, we would ultimately be able to figure out everything to the most minute detail, and scientifically, we would be able to solve all of humanity's problems. Like, that did become the narrative progressively well, there is from a the Enlightenment until, like, through maybe, I mean, well, there is a likelihood we could do that. Um, with enough time, if we don't destroy everything, I, yeah, I'm I'm of two minds about that. At the same time, I want to say like everything, you know, thing like everything's deterministic. If you had enough information, right. if you had the ability to measure enough things, then you would be able to tell like the source of all things or what the outcome is going to be. Right. But simultaneously, like I don't I don't know if that's actually true in practicality. Just because of you can if you multiply out the the amount of information you would need uh, in order to predict any, even like a simple event, like you need tons and tons right. and tons of information. Well, and at some point, well, we have to rely on AI and quantum computing to do a lot of those predictions, but that's where we're headed, is that positivistic type. Now, now granted, my whole field is about banging against positivism and the idea that 
there are indigenous knowledge and, and things like that that is beautiful that should not be destroyed just just by our belief in, in the the modern aspects of science or the modern aspects of the world. Banging against so, and being like like pro that? Like No, like like against, like, uh, against that, right? Oh. And 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 saying that, you know, maybe we shouldn't we shouldn't be um, using such they use it in education a lot, like the positivism, all the standardized testing, the things that say we can make this kid learn this at this time with these particular tools. Um, a lot of teachers, including myself, would say, hey, well, maybe we need to, like, is the, is the testing instrument valid that we're using to try to determine whether the student has learned that? How long do we have to go before the student actually begins to grow with this knowledge or whatever? And how do we determine whether the kid actually has this knowledge you know, and is this knowledge even something that this kid needs to learn, right? At being a valid member of a of a democratic republic or whatever. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, the concern. Okay. So the, those are the concerns banging against this idea. Okay, we can make everybody reading fluent. We can make everybody science fluent. We can make everybody little coders. Like now, it's all about coding, and we want to teach coding in yeah. elementary school. Learn to code. Like, yeah. To I have, mean, literally, have, well, all that's positivistic. Is that we can start with this kid, and when we get him out, he will be at this level. Okay, so that's more of like kind of a blank slate way of thinking. Like yeah, you can take into any individual and turn them yes. into anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, that sounds like programming. That's modernism. Yeah, that's, that's, that's modernism. modernistic. Yeah. And I think yeah. okay, so the it's, same thing again, with nature. Quote, to paraphrase or at least give like bullet points on the current conservative crit or traditionalist criticism of contemporary education is that we have deconstructed and deconstructed uh, and hypothesized to the point where there is, uh, we rejected all values, all traditional values, and it's left people unhappy and incapable of succeeding in their lives. And people have nothing, what has been deconstructed and what has been rejected as far as cultural traditions and like um, I guess you, cultural values is not being replaced by anything that is actually fulfilling to people. That's the that is the narrative. liberal critique of education, as well. Traditionally, well, traditionally liberal. So, or like, if using indigenous cultures as an example, that would be the liberal critique of education. It's too positivistic. We've taken too many kids. We're trying to make everybody the same all that positivism, and they say that it comes from the conservative side, interestingly enough. Now, I'm huh. pair of, and there's a bunch of people that if they hear this, they're going to jump all over our shit probably, but but I, I, I feel like that that is, you know, there are people like that study indigenous tribes and indigenous knowledge, and like some of that stuff needs to be injected into education, and that's against the positivism of education, right? That That we think we can just take your kid and then run him through the system and he pops out like as well, it's programming comes from industrial mm -hmm. the industrial mindset of taking a raw material mm -hmm. and then you pop out at the end and you have a product at the end that's not how that works and you can't do that to people well i know there's a moral and ethical problem so it shows you how close 
liberals and conservatives actually are yeah. in their idea. Conservatives use Christianity as the critique of that, like taking away Christian traditions out yeah. of. So it's or what they would refer to as being like Western traditions. Right. Yeah. Right. West. Uh, it's it's Eastern. I mean, Western, Northern Europe, kind of. Yeah. Um, traditions of what they believe the world should look like, or whatever. The, um, the Anglophile, right? Or the the. Well, I wasn't even Anglo because there's Frankish and. Um, Anglo-specific. Right, that whole Fra- top part Franco, of Europe, yeah, top part light skin, yeah. part of Europe. So um, the. Yeah, I would I would say that. So it shows you how close we are in agreeing that. It's interesting, like, that education is banged around. So education would say conservatives want to create a packaged kind of thing, like that that knowledge is packageable. And and positivistic liberals would want that as well. Mm -hmm. Like knowledge is a package. It's very technocratic. Ooh, yeah, right. that's also okay. Right. That's very in line with conservative thinking too, where they're saying, okay, the the lib- the liberal deconstruction of values or like the modern liberal mindset is itself uh, religion in a lot of ways, because it accepts certain tenets as being like absolutely true and certain values as being like unassailable. I would say that that's that's probably that's probably true. So I mean, although. The, the skepticism part of liberalism would be the, the fire against that. Yeah. That conservatism doesn't have, un, unlike Judy, Judy, the conservatism of Judaism, you know, where they challenge God over and over and over again versus conservatives don't seem to challenge their beliefs in certain things, right? And so, and, and I, not all conservatives, but I, but I feel like as an overall general thing, um, I would say on the other side that liberals do that all the time. Like, I, I think one of the Challenge things... Challenge their own beliefs. Yeah. Yeah, that's... You're supposed mm. to do that. Like, I mean, that's all about the way, like... I don't know. I, I, oh, uh, man. Um, but we can have psychos on the... on the Like, just the whole... Some of the woke generation is yeah, just Yeah, exactly. So woke and then also, like, Marxist... Okay, so people who are... There's a long history of Marxist, like... Um, it like accepted very concrete Marxist precepts that oh, go yeah. into different disciplines, and those yeah. are be considered to be beyond reproach. They're not anymore, because the average the average liberal is probably not a Marxist, or doesn't mm. believe in Marx tenets. They might I use re- Marx tenets. I associate tenets. liberal academia with Marxism, but well, certainly and not I associate the wokeism with Marxism too. I don't know, like I. I perceive I perceive it as that those that you want to call conservative, quote unquote, they're more honest about the fact that they don't like people, so therefore people can accept them because they're honest about their hatred in some levels, whereas liberals are still uncomfortable, but they're 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 covering that up by an attempt to be. Uh, I think of like um, the community, like uh, like a, a transgender community. Right. I think a lot of liberal people are truly terrified and scared by this, but they want to seem accepting. 
but I think really they're really nervous, whereas I think conservative people are out and out, right? Like, we, we, we don't like this, we don't appreciate this, this is not our beliefs, yada, yada, yada. Whereas I think if liberal people were more honest about their discomfort, not their hatred, right. and in an effort to start conversations with people, I think mm. that liberal tenants would be more accepted and less, less demonized and villainized. Well, discomfort is in, I think of that as being like an emotional reaction or like natural, whereas, you know, de, being accepting of something that you are naturally discomforted by would be like the, the rational response to say, oh, right. in practical, like disgust is reflexive, right. like, and it, it's ingrained and it's despite what the blank slate believers would say, it's a, definitely a part of human nature that's inescapable, except through, well, I would say inescapable, but it something that people need to transcend with like their rational mind if you're going to have like a, a good society but what you're saying is that you're distinguishing between people who uh are honest about how they feel naturally and that's their their rational uh so thinking is, right or is in yeah. tune yeah, yeah. whereas yeah. people who suffer like in internal conflict right. from naturally responding to something and then it's in opposition to how they would rationally want to feel, and they don't have a good way, or that either makes them hypocrites, or they're, they're not capable of maintaining that I don't know if we were dissonance. talking about this last night, but I, I swear I had this about changing people's minds. Someone had said to me the other day, they said, well, you know, I was talking to someone, and I knew I wasn't going to change their mind, and God knows no one's going to change mine. That wasn't us talking about okay. that, but that's a great, that's a great segue into this. What, let's say one thing, though. I wouldn't say conservatives hate and maybe hate the a idea word. of I, I, transgender. I, or, or, They're so uncomfortable with it, but they speak their mind with their uncomfort, right? And they say that this is wrong according to what I know about my faith right, or, or what whatever. I know about yeah. whatever. I, so th that would be the rational dimension of it. Right, like the emotional saying, yeah. dimension would be more of what you think of as hate. I don't know that it's hate. Like if they met a transgender person in person, I don't and, think and, and there would be anything. any I, kind I, of. I only said transgender because it was right. a, that's an easy. No, I, but I, yeah, and it's an obvious topic for today. Um, but I agree with you. I think there are liberals that are uncomfortable, and and so much like part of liberalism is like allowing all different kinds of people to speak. Right, it's the whole the whole bastion of liberalism is mm. this idea of free speech and the natural rights of people. Right, and the idea that the woke generation wants to shut everybody the hell up and tell them how to talk is just beyond well, the conception of what the of being a liberal is supposed to be. It's the very specific case of you're allowed to shut down somebody's speech or somebody's way of thinking if that speech or that way of thinking is itself preventing people from being free or expressing their freedom. Right. I don't know how you resolve that, that distinction. Well, uh, yeah, and that's tough because there are certain things. Wait, like, like what causes discrimination and oppression? What kind of speech is causing discrimination, oppression, and should we allow that kind of speech? Yeah, just because can you we oppress believe... oppressive speech? Right. Yeah, is what you're going well, for like the net highest shows... amount of freedom you can get, or is it just, or is the best you can do just the... absolute freedom? Well, certainly the government would be there's there would be. So I define the two conceptions of liberty: conceptions of liberty positive liberty and negative liberty in my book. Um, 
which is kind of like uh, 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 political philosophers have been talking about that for years, positive liberty, is the idea that the state can do things to make people's lives better, yeah. and negative liberty is the idea that the state needs to leave you the hell alone and let you be as free as possible. Right. A lot freedom of people would conceive be, of America in the, the, right. you know, the latter Liberty's model, public, definitely. freedom's private, kind of freedom in your thought, freedom in your religion, what you think about God or whatever, and, um, and liberties are public. Mm. Um, and so uh, that have to do with rights, the rights that you have as a citizen. And so um, a lot of times liberties are defined, right? They're defined by something called the law, right? And mm-hmm. so that, that creates, you know, part of the duty of being a citizen in a republic is that you follow the law. And the law helps create using uh, positive and negative liberty. The law creates the boundaries of liberty, right? And so um, I don't know. So the, the so US I talk, is an interesting case for that because it is. well because of federalism and then also you have this inflection point of first the civil war and then the civil rights movement where the federal government goes from being like just preventing people's rights from being uh, like Negative infringed liberty. upon right. yeah to actually the federal government views itself as needing to step in against states in favor of the right. federal rights of citizens where they become much more proactive. Right. And now we get to today's moment where people use the federal government, like, you know, liberal people, the, the woke concept is led to use the federal government in order to uh, restrict people's rights if those people are going to make other people less free, which is essentially what the federal right. government's been so, doing with states since the right. end of the Civil War. So where do your rights end and mine begin? And who is going to enforce those? Right. Yeah. And so that is always, the, that is the ultimate question of a democracy. Mm. Like, like, where do my rights end and yours begin? And people don't yeah. do a good job of articulating that in the American system no, by making don't. the difference between federalism and, like, states' rights. People right. hear the term states' rights, but I think people fall back to not making a distinction between mm. state jurisdiction and federal jurisdiction, and they always make the assumption that, oh, the federal government is the government, so it should be doing everything. When not in the way our system is designed. No. No, especially legally. And then when COVID hit and the states got their rights, well, our, our country, yeah. states didn't do it. And people make this do. assumption right. like, why isn't the president doing me? Well, why isn't, well the president isn't like, is very restricted in what they're actually supposed to even be capable of doing. Right. Yeah. So, and I think the country is so large. I mean, I, I would prefer the states be more equal in size, but I feel like the country is so large How do you that mean by size, not not, not landmass, oh, okay. just because it'd be easier to govern. I see. Right. And um, like if we borders. had, well, we can't do that now, but uh, because of just the history of it. But I think if we had, I mean, if we ever did away with states and had regionalities, like so, because there are specific things. Like Territories. North Carolina is kind of weird because it has both mountains and coasts, but there are specific things that are indigenous people. Once you've lived there for 25, 30, 50 years or three generations, right. you know about the mountains, right? right? Hmm, or right. you know about this stream or you know about whatever, and you're probably better at governing it, which is why mm. that we, you know, we supposedly defer a lot of our governance to local government. And one of the things that the Biden administration has said, or he has said in one of his letters or whatever, was that national politics shouldn't be at the forefront of everybody's mind. It should be their local politics, because that has a lot more to do with with your life than 
national politics do. Well, but national politics allows people to express themselves ideologically yes. and express like their absolutes and their values well, and to impose their absolutes and their values. Like, why wouldn't local politics do the same thing? Because local politics is too it's too practical. It's right, not, but, it doesn't but, allow people to have these grand think, conversations about the definition of life and the definition of like. But it does. And it does. It and, shows what those politics actually look like. Right, so you you are less likely to expound about something till you've been in the trenches and actually done that particular style of politics. Mm. Like, like when you leave people alone, you realize, oh shit, they've done this, right? They've destroyed this stream or they've done this. And then you're like, oh, it's like when they were going to build, you know, offshore drilling sounded great, until they were going to drill off the coast of North Carolina, then yeah. people shit a brick. And there's no, everybody, every town, every coastal town pretty much voted, I mean, almost all of them, I guess, pretty much voted to no, to no offshore drilling. And they're all run by Republicans who would have voted nationally <laughs> for mm. offshore drilling till their local, then all of a sudden it was in their backyard. So I think disturbing. politics would be much more pure and much more to the case if people were a lot more involved in their local politics. Pe and, you know what I mean? Dude, politics in Emerald Isle about to blow up, son. Between salt in the aquifer, development, people swimming in shit. Oh, yeah. Um, Those are practical problems. Yeah. And if, yeah. and if, um, if poor Paul can't open that water slide this summer, dude, the hawks <laughs> and the buzzards of development are flying around that little hill like flies over a dog turd, man. Uh, yeah, talking about, okay, Emerald Isle. Like the, it's going to blow up here, you, man. You said people who have, like, uh, the, the They're trying to do ocean outfall again. Yeah. They do that every time they want to develop. The time and then, that and then people... And you really will be swimming in it. Yeah. Yeah, if you're in the beach. And they'll it's, be, it's it'll look like Miami, shore. it'll look like Miami and there'll be, there'll be, you know, 20 story condos on the ocean front. So the conflict between people who have a, a long-term vested interest in a place versus recent arrivals. Right. I think that's an interesting conversation. That's a great conversation. Because obviously anybody who's local is going to be, they don't want people, like, they don't want decisions about the place where they've been or where they are to be made by people who are recent arrivals. And is that just the fact that I want, I want my opinion to hold more sway period, or I'm concerned about a loss of my values, or I'm concerned about people who are coming in, not really caring about the welfare of the place that I've been to the extent that I do. Because a lot of the uh, when I've talked to people locally, a lot of the animosity they have towards people coming from elsewhere is actually a loss of like values and culture because they perceive the people coming in as caring about different things. I, I, not necessarily not being concerned about the welfare of the, of the community, but just valuing yeah, different things agree. personally. Yeah, well, it's I, the Yankee problem. The, well, this, yeah. The sub-question yeah. of yeah. that in this yeah. area, though, is how many of the people that are expressing concern are people that came here within the last however many years and they don't like the people that are coming here now versus the people that have been here that haven't really cared much for anyone coming here in the last 15, 10, 15, 20 years. But they want <laughs> to make money 
from those, they're in a conflict because a lot of them make money from a lot of the people coming in, either via development or rents or hamburger buying or whatever. So they're in a state of conflict, right? Mm, Don't you think they're in a state of conflict? I hate these damn Yankees, and then they're selling, you know, a hamburger to them. What happens in that state of conflict is people are emotionally drawn to the money because they want it, they want what it provides, and then they will rationalize the goodness of their decisions directed towards getting money intellectually. So the problem will resolve itself based on where their emotional tendency is. Right. Which is generally towards the money, if they really want it. But even right. even outside, and we need to talk about maybe not at this time. We'll, we need to talk about neoliberalism and the idea of the market being God. Yeah, yeah, because that's a great conversation. But that's a whole other issue. Let's continue. Well, not to just talk about. But it's, that's not even here. People, people, especially with COVID, folks who live from somewhere else, moving to elsewhere, like we were talking about last night, like California to Texas. Yeah. Or you know, up north or out west. Especially San Francisco, yeah. to Austin. Out, There's out, a pipeline. To people to hear, or people to, like I said, Rocky Mount, 55, 57, 56, mm-hmm. some thousand people. Nothing for rent, nothing to buy, but there's nothing going on. So they're waiting. Someone's waiting, theor- theoretically. Mm-hmm. But I mean, this is happening all over the place to the point where even small podunk nowheres have become virtually uninhabitable due to affordability, either because you're so far away from something that it's not worth it or that where you are is just so expensive, both rent and purchase. Hmm. Because, hmm. because for whatever reason, the people that are flocking, I don't see how that keeps happening, but we'll people be- flocking from place to place, wherever they're leaving, they're making enough or doing enough or have done enough that where they're going is cheap enough. And then they're raising values yeah. Our current economic value, in the, or our current economic system, in the same way that it increases the value constantly of the stock market, right. it increases the value constantly of real estate. Right. And I don't know a lot about it, but basically, if you if you feed enough or a high enough percent of the overall wealth into in what's being produced into the top, you know, tier of people who are making money, then they're the only like valve you have to relieve it. They're going to spend the money somewhere sure. and it generally ends up being like stocks and real estate. So and you end so, up with that inflated, but it's able to, you're, you can sustain the bubble if you continue having that disproportionately high percent of the overall wealth and economic pro- uh, product just going to the top. And I, and I, and I kind of hijacked that to turn it that way, but, but, but then going back to what you guys were saying about take Emerald Isle, local culture. What, what is the local culture of Emerald Isle? And then the people that are coming here, how is it changing? There's no local culture of them. I mean, uh, well, there is, or, I guess. Or, or I guess whatever, however it's, it was. It's morphed were. since I first, since my father first came here, it certainly has morphed because now it's like a, a more hippie-ish kind of bike riding, you know, bandana wearing, you know, mm. I, I think dogs, you know, dog culture than it ever was, where once it was a little fishing village, then it became with trailers, and then it became like, you know, kind of like a quasi spit of land that had some, you know, houses on it that people vacationed, and, and once the bridge was built, then it kind of has slowly morphed into what it is now. It's 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 more attractive now than it has ever been, partly due to the bike paths and the, mm-hmm. and the uh, 
you know, making it more convenient for the people to hang out actually on the island and not just on the beach, right, kind of deal. But I, I think it, 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 it'll take a while for the culture to develop, but I think the culture here is a retirement-based culture. I, and I think that I've noticed people who, even regardless of their uh, economic status or any kind of demographic about them or where they come from, regardless of how far away they come from, people who come here like to either vacation or retire do tend to be more conservative. Mm-hmm. Like than your than your average person from elsewhere. Like your your average person from New York or Ohio or Pennsylvania who is coming to Emerald Isle is going to be more conservative than the average person generally from those places. And I don't know if it's like where within those states or locations they're coming from, or if it's just it's the the small town attractive where Beaufort mindset. Beaufort has been different. Beaufort has had more liberal people come to it, hmm. strangely enough. And I we would have to. It would be I'm hard to. But, it yeah. would be hard to like say check this box if you're conservative. Check this box if you're liberal. It That's depends an on interesting what, conversation. Which is what well, it depends on which it's the same evil. issue. It really is. It, it, really, really, really it is. depends on which issue you're talking about to whether people are conservative or liberal well, on the issue. You know, I, there's there's probably a small percentage that are always liberal and always conservative. But I would say. You know, there are some issues that I'm probably a little bit more conservative on, um, depending well, on. But I would say too that you know, con- like the, tradition. The conservative. Um, yeah. Okay. So. Well, you know, so the conservative, the conservative, bleh, the conservatism that is here is implicit because of all the military installations. That makes sense. So. Yeah, that's. I think that's you, a good observation. I think some people do think about that when they come here. And it, the the military element, like disproportionately more military than the average yeah who are either i don't know uh, retiring here or coming to vacation because that's a lot of times how people establish their like their ties to eastern north carolina yeah that's interesting um okay in the liberal versus conservative conversation there's actually i i've brought up uh jonathan height hate um a lot uh the uva guy moral philosopher or a scientist or whatever you want to call it. Um, and he says that of the, like he sets up five overarching um, kind of like moral dimensions. And I mean that, you know, debatable, would, right. you know, which ones they are. But his supposition, and he combats liberal people on this a lot, like a whole lot. Um, and he's more liberal too, is that uh, conservatives value all five of the moral dimensions that he lays out, whereas liberals tend to only value or acknowledge two or three of them. Right. Um, like one example would be conservatives uh, caring a lot more about what he says is a dimension of uh, purity versus impurity, or right. like the, the high versus low, um, which, that's I mean, that's- a standard that's, trope, and, but that trope has been used for massive amounts of oppression over the course of history, purity yeah. versus non-purity. Yeah, and yeah. I think the the yeah. repressive nature of it is what disgusts liberals a lot of times. Right. Or it's kind of like a chicken the eight thing. Or well, maybe it's not their true. Lack of respect for purity is, is, is depends on what your standard is for pure. It's, it's, it's rationally untrue, right. but there is a framework for it in human nature. It. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, it's yeah. not coincidental. And if you... It's tribal. Um, tribal the probably. example he gives is, is a, like, a year-long uh, like period that he spent living in India and internalizing the uh, the tendencies towards like pure and impure things, even though right. he didn't 
rationally accept the value of it. Oh, yeah, you it. would definitely because of the cast. The, yeah, it's still... Even though it's not supposed to be there, it still exists. But yeah. he, when he was outside of the system, he found himself, like, mentally referring to it because it had kind of established itself in his, mm -hmm. in his nature, and he had a different way of looking at things mm -hmm. that he felt from being around people who uh, exercised the pure, impure kind of dichotomy. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, that's... That's a super thing to talk about later let's talk about the five that let's bring bring that back up maybe next podcast and we'll talk about yeah and i would need i would need sort of notes on it i can do send, the entire can, thing you got notes um notes or i can send you what the book is that has it in it but yeah yeah, yeah. let me let me see the because that would be interesting to use in not in this book but to mm -hmm. use in like this book is very much for lay people it's very much laying out like a system that would work for modern for the next 50 years that um, that people could practice, you know, and be relatively comfortable that the Republic will survive, you know, kind of deal. And so it's kind of like, how do you teach citizenship to kids? And I didn't have a spot to be able to do that in my instruction, right, of history teachers or mm -hmm. civics teachers. So this book is to take the place of that for my students, and so I might as well write it for lay people. So, and not write an academic book. Write, write a, just a 200-page book about citizenship, basically, is what it is. And if it never does anything, I don't really care because I can use it in my class. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, that, that helped. How do we get to that? <laughs> Uh, yeah, like Seinfeld. Book <laughs> reading text. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, I wanted my book to be more of a like a lay Word kind count. of. And plus you want to write down your thoughts. Like you, academics write down their thoughts to kind of solidify them. And I, it's funny, I didn't use the term. too. I didn't use the term Pascal's argument or Pascal's wager. And I need to put that in the book because I totally didn't even remember that that was it. Part of my problem is I read so many things and I, I weave them all together, and so I don't know, like, I can't attribute it to this, or it's a terrible academic. Mm. Like, you're supposed to be able to attribute, um, oh, you know, and that's the sure, whole but labels, but you, but though, But you've got to have a, a fantastic... Uh, we actually talked about this. Yeah. Like, uh, reading, reading writers of today quoting or paraphrasing before their chapters or, or articles, people like the Contos by the Pound or, like, T.S. Eliot or... You know, the classics, yeah. Ovid and this kind of junk, right? Well, make stuff feel significant. If we were to write books, would we be quoting, you know, Gulliver's Travels, or would we be quoting On the Road or or Toni Morrison, right? Like, you probably would be. The, 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 you know, it would depend on what you were trying to achieve with it. You yeah. could, you the could. The words do of great like, thinkers, Heidegger would say, it well, doesn't matter as you long could, as they're a great thinker. You could quote some low stuff too to be like ironic. Or whatever, yeah. like well, well, or I mean, even then, like newspaper articles to say something writing, about human nature. Right. Yeah. Someone writing high high uh, journalism and quoting Hunter S. Thompson, some right. wacky shit he said. Yeah. But but I mean, I just I wonder about that, like as things go on. Yogi Berra, that's a good one. Right. Yeah. Because yeah, it's like existential, but it's also so we'll low. talk about that too. The words of great thinkers and how they create a clearing in your mind sometimes, and you can actually see yourself the dozen of yourself. Mm -hmm which is Heidegger's, Heidegger's imaginary being that he created to experiment on, right. does on. And so, um, yeah, we can talk about that too. That's, that's pretty cool. But in, in academics, we like a lineage, you know, because it's an epistemic chain that goes all the way back to 
um, the original philosophers in Western philosophy. So, um, you know, that's why we cite stuff in books so people can look that up and then they can look that up and then they can look that up. Because it they, improves people's understanding of it? Because it gives it a foundation. Think about, think about citing references mm. as um, points in a blockchain digitally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's like, great. Safer, okay. safer like cryptocurrency. Every transaction happens where both if it's linked to a previous where the people are, right, are anonymous, then, but the, but it is there. It is documented, but you can always link back. Okay, so in that case, the benefit would be it gives it authority, right? Because and it makes you able to trust it, right? Well, but then you have to. Oh, so we're back to our original yeah, thing about good. trust. Then you have yeah. to be yeah. able to yeah. define authority. Authority means different things. Obviously, like in in the sciences, the authority is different than it would be practically applied in um, literature Common law. or well, yeah. In terms of great thinkers, like the the woke standpoint would actually be the authority that the great thinkers have makes them less trustworthy because they're institutionalized and the institutions are flawed by power structures that are related to things like race gender etc like they have there's a big tradition in wokeism of rejecting the canon you right. know the problem is and that's where i is disagree like ironic, because you're taking dis- the authority that people give it right. and using so, that to actually again that's postmodernism it. like attacking yeah. every every grand narrative every whatever but i think that's why i'm not a complete like i wouldn't say i, I say i'm liberal but i'm not so liberal that I agree with every one of those things. I think a lot of these questions are something we have to work out over time and we can't just change it like that because it causes a structural issue in our our ability to trust people or experts or whatever. And I would say that, you know, it's just like saying Heidegger doesn't know anything about the world because he was a Nazi, right? And and we shouldn't listen I to anything anything Heidegger says because he was a Nazi. I think the second statement is easier for people to agree with than the first statement. We shouldn't listen to him because he was a Nazi regardless of the the quality of his ideas becomes irrelevant because of the lack of quality of his person. Right. And if you endorse his ideas, then you're endorsing all right. of his ideas, which right. includes endorsing Nazism. Right. I mean, and so... So, but his ideas weren't necessarily, he picked the, the vehicle to explore his ideas uh, politically was his mistake, right? And so instead of just being neutral or on, on, on politics or being whatever, he chose the wrong. What so he, he was literally was, a Nazi? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, but he wasn't, he wasn't like a member of... I mean, he didn't do anything crazy. I mean, he wasn't arrested at the end of the war or anything like that. He just, he just agreed with, like, um, Nazism, the purity of, like, he got into the pure, mm-hmm. the idea. Purity is a huge trope in Nazism. And so um, the, uh, and he did that. He did but interestingly mm-hmm. enough, his girlfriend was a Jew, Hannah Arendt, and she um, was arguably one of the top yeah, one of the top philosophers of the political philosophers of the 20th century, and so she um, she counteracted his views. Interestingly enough, because as he got as he got more and more into Nazism, of course she had to flee because she was a Jew, and she 
fleed various places and ended up at the new school in New York City and um, wrote a lot of stuff from there. But uh, it was kind of an interesting... But she doesn't discount his views on philosophy because hmm. he was a Nazi. But like, her, her views would be a lot more easily digested by a contemporary audience because of her gender and because of her... Right. Uh, well, religious beliefs or right. ethnicity right. being in opposition exactly right. to what so I can he I was. can give you context on her. She's the one that tried to figure out how good people do evil things, right? How the good Germans, the average everyday German, turned into believing in Nazism. She wanted to figure that out. That was like her quest, and she how'd she do? She, she coined the term the banality of evil which is the idea that there's everyday evil and all you have to do is is coax it out and it'll be there with some kind of... And Nazism is a trope that does that. It coaxes out that, that you're willing to give up your morality, your sensitivity, your whatever, to allow yourself to do something else. And um, Well, in that case, would somebody really be giving... I mean, I don't think anybody would give up their morality. They would still view themselves as behaving their morality. morality. Right, have, they yeah. adjust their morality. You have to uh, be yeah. solicited into the way of thinking. Uh, um, they adjust their ethics so their moral choices, so morality is a choice, so they adjust their ethics, which is the rules that they have set for themselves, to change their moral... Compass. But they, have, the way they're they have to be given something first. People don't serve willingly; they have to be enticed. So, if you can give them, sell them, make them believe something that's going to do them better—a right that would last a thousand years. Where they Germans will, will be great right, again. Well, they yeah. will accept their servitude and mm-hmm. be in love with it and, and mm-hmm. unawares of it. Then you can. Then you and that, and and that's what made Adolf Hitler good. Okay, I feel like if you're going to make... Uh, not, if, please don't misunderstand that statement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, if, but, 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 enticing. Good, good, good at uh, manipulating people. Right. So well, what I'm bribing, bribing somebody does not make them do something bad. Getting somebody to accept a bribe is what will make them do something bad. Right. Because you have to make them complicit, and it has to be their choice to well, extend their own right. actions to something that's immoral right. before they'll internalize it, and they'll become somebody accepting of a previously immoral act because they can't maintain that cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. between doing something bad and, like, judging it. Right. Like, people have to... It's, it is a biological imperative for people to view themselves as being good people because oh, yeah. it's necessary for us functioning in society. Therefore, yeah. you get somebody to do something bad and they mentally become the person, a good person in their mind, who did that action, even well, if they like, previously thought that like was a bad action. liberals thinking conservatives are evil and conservatives thinking liberal are evil. And you get the same thing on either side about like the way they perceive the other side, interestingly enough. These people so. are pure evil. They're going to destroy our society. Mm. And then you talk to the guy on the other side. It's like, say, they well, fucking don't know what they're what's doing. What's going on? Yeah. These paper will pure evil. They're going to destroy society. Yeah. 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 And that's what I'm saying. There's the, if there is a good and evil, as far as that goes, and politics and all that, the two sides that we have, the, 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 the dual dueling parties, the bi, whatever you call it, bi, bipartisan, whatever, they're both the same good or evil. They're both the same. There's well, no, humans, no we have... Them. Not well, anymore. That's what Rent says. We have yeah, that though. in us. All of that is all in us. Sure, and, that's fine. But but I understand that in a republic, in a democratic republic, we have got to deal with that. Right, and I'm not. I'm not. And trying that's to... the skepticism. That's the 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 love of the idea of democracy. 
the love of the promise of democracy, right, right. And, and those kind of things. And, and that's and all good that and fine. I think can lead but, you towards taking the effort to make those. Yeah, but they're no, they're no different anymore. And this is why I think. No, I would say they're. they're when were they ever different? They're very different when Trump was initiated into the into the fold. Well, because that's that's a that's a that's a fringe element. That's the outlier. But that fringe element has taken a, taken. Uh, I, I'm not again. I'm not trying to discredit that. Okay. But I don't I, think that either political party, the people constituting either political party, are morally either is morally superior. I think they're morally the same. That's, well, that's that's what I'm getting at. There's there. No, you're saying the ethics. So morality is the making the ability to make the choice. I'm saying ethics at a, in a high level. choices. Okay, that I'm make. saying at a high level. I don't think that one group is constituted by better people or worse people. No, I would say that they both think they're doing a think good, doing the good. Yeah, right. It de- so, and they want, I, they probably want the same things. Oh, they from do. From an ethical standpoint, yeah. they probably want to maximize oh, yeah. happiness or whatever is, you're, or adhere to principle, or, or, or you know, it's just like getting the oil wells in your backyard. Like it all's good until there are oil wells in your backyard. So, yeah, but the so, motivation is still the. They, they're so motivated right. to help well, they people. they think it would be better for the be economy. Good. So the idea that we have oil, like they are under misconception that we need oil, right? And so, and then that will provide jobs and those kind of things. And then, you know, when the oil wells popped up back there, they're like, not in my backyard, yeah. right? So, and then that the became real, a reality to them. The real right. evil there is that the two realities are separated from each other, that the, the economic positives do people don't immediately see the environmental consequences to right. it or the harm that it does well, to people. Well, that's why they people see, say... If you can't separate out the what you gain from something from what you right. lose from it, otherwise you cannot make good decisions. Well, that's why people say GDP is should be one of the three or four factors we use to determine what the economy is. GDP there should is be bullshit. a happiness index. Yeah, because people people's lives can go down and GDP can go up, right? right? And so... Mm-hmm. And like, and the environment should be figured into the GDP argument. So those two extra indicators should be put into GDP. And there's like four others that that certain economists feel like should be part of, maybe not four, several others that you know economists feel like should be part of GDP, because it's certainly if 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 yeah. If renewed happiness is and and you know the the advancement of liberty and renewed happiness is part of what we need, then you know I think those other we need better indicators, and that's the same thing with that I feel like with standardized testing and education. I feel like the instruments that we use to measure education are flawed, and that that would be that's that's part of that positivist positivistic kind of effect. Certainly government is a positivist effect on the natural state of humanity. So I mean I think there are similar things that need to happen, like with education being that they're both kind of education and politics are both social sciences. And they yeah. need they need massaging and and constant vigilance to uh, to keep them moving the way the population wants them to go. People want the same things with education. They want people to be educated and they want people to be able to 
uh, open-mindedly like pursue prosperity and contribute to and society. Invent. I want them to invent, yeah, like, invent, innovate, whatever. But why, yeah. with shared goals, can we not make more progress? And everybody across the board, if you look at surveys, people say that the education system at whatever level is broken know, in some is, way. Which is so why can't exactly we make some kind of progress? Yeah, towards yeah. fixing it or it's at well, least broken. It just doesn't work well. No, it's Same not broken. Same way that everyone says it, government's broken. No, no it's not broken. It's in, it's running how it's intended to run. It's yes. just, it just doesn't yeah. work well. Hmm. Yeah, it, it doesn't, doesn't work well for today's times. Right. right. Which and is why when, I say do away with democracy. Do I have a replacement or an answer? No, that would no. not be communism. Benevolent but, dictatorship? No, we can't do away with democracy till we, or democracy will have to morph into that's what, something. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, right. that's what I'm saying. Yeah. A cooperative. Right. Or some, some, I mean, if you read, you know, some kind of commonwealth. You know, if you read, if you read Hart and Negre or whatever. But I don't, I so, don't have the answers to that stuff because I don't. I'm not. I'm not high enough yet to think that deep. But we do. We need to believe that we can get. We need to believe that we can get there. That the Earth will survive. So part of the problem is we don't have like a, a conceptual narrative, like we did in the '60s and the '50s about what America is, what America can do, because those grand narratives have been deconstructed and, and pulled apart by postmodernism. And so I think we need to have... Is that good or bad? Well, I think there's... The deconstructing it, it, of grand it's narratives. It's good and bad. Yeah. Like, I think... But I, I still think that... I don't so want to be told the, lies, right, even if they're one productive lies. One of the bad lies. things is that we need a goal. Like, we, mm. we have to have a goal. So part of the grand narrative Ooh. created a goal. But we need a goal of, like how we want to be in the world, how we want to be in the universe, you know, and, and those kind of things. And I think the the shining city on the hill narrative, you know, we need to revamp that somehow without That's as much very inspiring, though. It's not, yeah, yeah without as much oppression at it, as it originally had from the Puritan aspect and kind of that's mm. one of the that's one of the sections in the book is about this idea that we need a goal like we have to have somewhere to go we can't just fight among each other I mean you, you put all those politicians towards a certain goal they work a lot harder instead of just blocking each other right, but, but that's but that's part of the fracturing of now with social media among other right. things is everyone has uh, their own specified, feedback belief system channel thing a la carte right yeah your feelings are a la carte instead of having and so even if you have a goal at this point everyone has their way that they're going to get to it instead of a common well we want them to have different ways to get to it sure sure but at some point there has to be a common a common thread other than the goal itself well so they don't believe they have the same goals Mm. Right, and they probably don't. I don't think. No, they do. A lot of times, they want a nice house. They want their kids to live better than they did. You know. What well, I was initially. Then, but then, why does everything have to be better? Why does everything always have to be progress? Why does everything always have it to? It doesn't. Be- I mean, that's part of my thing. Where, you know, the positivistic progress. Maybe we need to dial back on something. Well, things. that's what. The, and that's have what I more. Think. You know, right. I mean, certainly the European countries have dialed back on some things why COVID went crazy, well, but just like the market. Remember in, remember in um, Gene Wilder's uh, version of Willy Wonka, the original, when they go into the one part and they walk through the door and they go all the way down the hallway and it gets really small and narrow and he gets to the end and he's like, oh, oh, oh I, I thought the door was here and they get lost and he turns around and he walks back through the same hallway. Oh, well, here's the door. Yeah. And they say, that's the door we came in. He says, no, it's not. 
said, you know, we, you, you got to go, you got to go in or, or back to go forward. You can't. Mm -hmm. And they open and they move on to the factory. But that's, but that's kind of my, what I'm saying about dialing back. It's like, man, we've, we've gone in 50 years, we've come 500 years. Oh yeah. We've got to slow down. We, we can't keep up. We're, we're fractured. That doesn't represent a different goal necessarily. Well, a lot of, okay, goals can be like abbreviated too. So like you can have, like how broad is your goal? Like people can have a shared goal of like happiness, but then they can have uh, goals on the way towards happiness that have to do with what they think will achieve happiness. You know, like you were saying, like the, the, the house or like if you want to talk about like you're very anti-materialistic. Some to. people they think that they they have materialistic my records. They have materialistic yeah, yeah, goals that feed into the goal of happiness, whereas other people are anti-materialists again towards the goal of happiness. So, I would reject the the shared goal thing. But before when you said we're talking about grand narratives and then relating that to goals, the first thing that I wanted to say was that a I like the idea of being goal-oriented because that's something more tangible that can be utilized in the same way as a grand narrative. But the problem is, is the goal is only part of it, right? The goal would be like the, like the end of the narrative. Right. Whereas like the shining city on the hill, it has a goal built into it, but it also has a, a sense of purpose and it right. lifts up the people in a way right. that mobilizes them to feel righteous in achieving that goal. Right. And actually obligates them to it. Right. And how do you instill that sense of purpose without also instilling a sense of like chosenness or superiority, which is obviously the like the the racial or like social problem of the shining city on the hill. Because if you're going to anoint somebody as like a having a, a being a chosen group or their purpose as being a like a chosen one or one that's superior to others, then you're going to have the the you know, rejection of open-mindedness, the rejection of other people, the willingness to uh, pursue what you think is right, regardless of how it impacts others, right. like the beliefs of others. I don't know. We have to work through that. I mean, that's, again, where the freedom line and positive and negative freedom comes in. But I think without it, we're going to fracture and, and, and further deteriorate. I mean, we're already right. fractured. Right. It's a matter of Well, now. we've always been relatively fresh sure sure but right. i'm saying now yeah. like we're peak postmodern yeah we are we are getting toward the fever pitch is fracturing bad okay so people no, no, it's people not, benefit it's from warring is bad i think well we don't well, want warlords people might not even people agree with boring. that or i mean only boring people are bored yeah right yeah yeah only boring people are bored right. yeah the same I like way that. that i feel that those who seek <laughs> leaders probably don't deserve them those who seek leaders probably don't deserve them hmm the same way that motivated people don't need motivating. Or they don't necessarily deserve good leaders. Right. Okay, so if we if we fracture as a society though, then you lose the like the the combined effort. But you don't that doesn't mean that you're necessarily isolating people from each other entirely. Like you can have No, we'll have to have a world government eventually. Ah, and then that really? is that is the yeah. first that is the we'll first have a step world government. to the end times, they say. Mm. That would be in the, the, the That is a big bad one of those novels we talked about. Left behind. Yes. That would be the first step. A worldwide government and a worldwide currency. 
Okay. Yeah, that's what we'll do. Yeah. We'll eventually do that as soon as we figure out that their uh, alien comes knocking on the door. Right. That's going to be like, knock, knock, knock. They'll be like, okay, everybody's getting along. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. That dude has a pointed head. That's a funny looking dude. We got to get along. We don't want pointy head dudes on our planet. Mm. No, but I, th- I, mean, yeah. I think fracturing is not a bad thing because if you're, if you're William Burroughs, fracturing allows you to reshuffle the pieces and create something entirely new, different, that right. in, in his philosophy and opinion is actually closer to reality and the truth. Well, hmm. you'd have interlinked, that has good biological equivalents interlinked too. commonwealths, right. right, that the link would be their, their belief in a common humanity and the commons would be, so the people that, that the postmodernists who want to use the term common, the common, the commons becomes like the thing that, um, that kind of provides the governance of these common beliefs and standards and and things like that that kind of have to do with indigenous um, the way indigenous cultures kind of without the warring kind of share resources share um, and there's examples of that um, there's examples of that in history but. But even those examples, like the Zapata movement in South America, South America or Mid-America? Middle America, uh, I think. Middle America, the yeah. Zapatistans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they they did some wild things with direct democracy and things like that, but they also did some... Really terrible kind of things. Terrible things, yeah. yeah. Um, kind of like, you know, uh, Castro. It wasn't all bad, but it really wasn't that good. Right, right. right. So we don't want to just half-ass for everybody. Right. You prefer it to be good for everybody. Sure. You know, if you have to do it for everybody, then, you know, we prefer it to be on the good side. And that's part of part of a segmented society is that it can't be good for everybody. Right. You know, we have to have these dichotomies in class and these class yeah, systems will, because... Utopia doesn't exist. And even if it did, it would be very, very, very terribly, terribly right. monolithic and dull. Well, yeah, I was going to say, like, people are accepting of, they want commonality because they want, like, sharing shared experience, but they definitely reject sameness. Right. So, like, when you said, like, with people being, like, siloed, it does, in your your Burroughs comment, in a biological setting, I mean, this is more of a, I don't know if this is a analogy or if it's, like, homology, but... In biology, in order to have diversity, in order to have like divergent evolution, then you need for a population to be isolated. That's the only way you get something that's actually new, is you have a splitting and then response to a, a different environment. But in order for two populations to become different and to express any kind of individual character, then they have to be isolated from each other. Otherwise, you just have, you know, sameness. Which is why evolution is no longer happening that quickly uh, biologically it's happening socially yeah yeah so people would say our evolution has transferred to social um yeah uh, that's kind of like the new trope and a different kind of evolution when our brains catch up to our bodies man society man's gonna change man we're gonna be thinking and speaking with our brains man (laughs) And that's why Richard Dawkins has gotten so into, like, memetics, too, because he sees the commonality with, like, traditional evolution. Yes, and, yes. Yeah, but, like, ideas and ideas being 
almost like self-perpetuating like genes are. Yes. Based on what yes. the environment is. Yes, and yeah. they evolve. So some people, actually, there was a, a book written by a guy named James Dollar, I think it was James Dollar, called The Evolution of Christianity, the Evolution hmm. of the Bible, or evolution of the evolution of the idea of God. Hmm. And it's saying hmm. that, um, unlike a lot of our social constructs, that the idea of God has not evolved that well. And so, like, over the course of time, when it was an oral history, the ideas of the gods and God evolved. But, and so this guy, this book was written, like, 20 years ago, but he, he kind of proposes what God should look like for the 20th century if, it, if the idea had evolved. It's a provocative hmm. little book. Yeah, yeah, very, very interesting. Yeah, um, I would be interested do you in think that. God, yeah. Do you think God's Arabic, too? <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a half joke question but i mean the the concept of like the abrahamic god is by definition Arabic, semitic yeah i just i was just i don't know kind of just making a poking fun 